This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reform Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reform views based on the Word of God and the Reform Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. We read from God's Word this morning in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, 1 through 16. Hebrews 11, 1 through 16. Hear the Word of God. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And by it, he being dead yet liveth, By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should, after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned, but... Now they 
desire a better country that is in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. You read that far in God's holy and inspired Word. On the basis of Scripture, we have the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 9. Lord's Day 9, remember, is in the second section of the Heidelberg Catechism on how I might be delivered from my sins and miseries. And in Lord's Day 7, two Lord's Days before, Catechism has explained the truth of faith or genuine faith. And having explained faith, the Catechism now is going through the content of that faith or whom we believe. I believe in God, the triune God. That was Lord's Day 8 we considered last week. And now Lord's Day 9 moves us forward in an exposition on a few more words after God in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. What believest thou when thou sayest, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth? That the Eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who of nothing made heaven and earth with all that is in them, who likewise upholds and governs the same by His eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ His Son, my God and my Father, on whom I rely so entirely that I have no doubt but He will provide me with all things necessary for soul and body. And further, that He will make whatever evils He sends upon me in this valley of tears turn out to my advantage. For He is able to do it, being Almighty God, and willing, being a faithful Father. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, I remind you this morning that the theme and the aim of the Heidelberg Catechism is comfort. It's comfort. And what we find in Lord's Day 9 this morning is full of comfort, doctrine which brings comfort to our souls. Especially two simple but beautiful truths come out in Lord's Day 2 and the combination of which as they enter in our souls bring exceeding comfort to the child of God. And that is in the word able and the word willing. Found in the last phrase of the question and answer that we read, God is able and willing 
That's who this God is. Able and willing. He is able to do it, being Almighty God, and willing, being a faithful Father. What especially proves that He is able, able to help us, able to save us, able to do all things for our good, is the doctrine of creation. That God is the Maker, the Almighty Creator. And if He is the Almighty Creator or Maker of the heavens and the earth, then indeed, that is proof that He is able, able to do all things for us. What especially proves that he is willing, not just able, but willing to save us. He is the Father, the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his Son to make us members of his own family. And if he is our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ, then He is willing. Not only able to do all things, but willing as faithful Father to do all things for us. Those two truths come together in Lord's Day 9 and brings to the believer true comfort in life and in death. Believe. That's the implicit calling in Lord's Day 9. Believe in this Almighty Maker and this eternal and faithful Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in Him who is willing and able to save you, His people. Lord's Day 7, remember, as I mentioned already, is about true faith. If you say you believe, believe in God, I ask you, which God? Which God do you believe? And Lord's Day 8 has expounded, this is the God you must believe, the triune God, the God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This God, who is the Father of our creation, the Son, who does the work of redemption, and God, the Holy Spirit our of our sanctification. This God is outlined in those three sections of the Apostles' Creed. This God we must believe. And now, Article 9 brings us to this fundamental, basic truth of this God. He is Father and Almighty Creator. Not Evolver, under vigorous attack in Christian universities and colleges today, and even in Churches that call themselves Reformed is the doctrine of creation. Lord's Day 9, expounding to us the Scriptures and the Apostles' Creed, teaches us the true God, the one true God, which means all other gods are idols. This one true God is the Creator of the heavens and the earth. The Creator of the heavens and the earth, as explained in the Scriptures, and in Genesis 1 and many other places. The main reason that many have given up the truth of God as Father Creator is 
simply unbelief. It's unbelief. In his unbelief, man has studied, speculated, hypothesized, guessed, theorized, and invented the false god of Darwinism or evolution or theistic evolution. It has to do with unbelief. In fear of man rather than in fear of God, in respect for the theories of the majority, with an honor of men and men with many degrees and letters behind their name, many turn from the God of creation. The God is revealed in the Scriptures. It is due to unbelief. God's people are called, therefore, to believe. Not in some other God, but in the God of Scripture that we confess, along with Hebrews 11, verse 3, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Consider the doctrine of God, the Creator, and Father under the theme, believing in Father, Creator, first, the Father of creation, second, our Father in Christ, and then finally, the comfort from this Father. The true God of Scripture is the Father of creation. And I put it that way, Father of creation, because He is Father in the sense that He brings forth the creation. He produces the creation. Hence, He is the Father of creation. Now, He is Father in a far deeper, richer, and spiritual sense than that. We get to that in the second point. But important as one of the main points in Lord's Day 9 is that He is Father in this sense. Father of creation by virtue of the fact that He brought it forth. All of it out of nothing. This is what Lord's Day 9 is speaking of when it says, who out of nothing made heaven and earth with all that is in them. And notice about this Father of creation first that He is the eternal Father. The eternal Father. That's what the Catechism points out. The eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ out of nothing formed all this. He is eternal. And then the negative now. The creation is not eternal as much as scientists today might want to make creation and matter eternal. It must be made clear that the Father is eternal. And nothing else is. Eternal. The word eternal is an attribute of God. It's one of those attributes, essential students, which you have recently studied, which we call incommunicable. Incommunicable. That means that God is eternal and He doesn't share, He does not share that attribute of eternality with creatures and with us. He alone is eternal. He alone has no beginning. He alone is not bound by time. 
He alone, Psalm 90, from everlasting to everlasting, Thou art, not was, not will be, Thou art God. He is Jehovah, whose name means I am, to signify He is eternal. And He alone, He, the eternal God, the Catechism says, created out of nothing, nothing. And as difficult as it is for our human minds to comprehend what nothing is, think about it. The creation was not eternal. God is. Before the beginning, there was nothing but the eternal God. And then in the beginning, as Genesis 1 verse 1 says, God created the heavens and the earth. And the word beginning informs us that He created time when there was no time. He created time and He created space, all of space, not just the planet earth space, but all of space. He created the heavens and the earth and all that exists within it out of nothing. Approximately 6,000 years ago from our perspective, the eternal God created matter which is not eternal. Hebrews 11 verse 3 that we read specifies that the things which are seen, so the things that we see today, all of creation, all of matter, were not made of things which do appear. Or literally, were not made of that which is visible. Visible things did not, Hebrews is saying, evolve to make the things that exist that Today, that we see, matter is not eternal. Cells, atoms, subatomic particles did not make the things you see today. They did not matter, did not randomly collide and go bang to start a process of evolution which took place over billions of years ago to make what we see today. It is as though the writer of Hebrews knows that there would be this theory of evolution when he wrote it. And while the human writer may not have known, the Spirit knew. And speaks against evolution with those words. The things which we, which we see today were not made by the things which do appear. For God alone is eternal. And He made all things which are not eternal out of nothing. How? The Catechism tells us and refreshes our memory as we need it by the word of His mouth. And through faith, Hebrews 11 verse 3 says, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. The Word of God. The spoken Word. He commanded, Psalm 33 says, and it stood fast. He brought forth the imperative, a command. 
Some people don't like commands today, but even before the fall, at creation, in the beginning, God already was commanding. He brought forth a command, and there was a positive and a powerful effect with the command. The creation of all things. Let there be the heavens and the earth, and there was. Let there be light, and there was light. Let there be the firmament, and there was the firmament, the sky, the dry land, the plants, the fish, and all the sea creatures under the sea, the treasures of the deep, the birds of the air, all the beasts of the field. By the word of His mouth. And when did this take place? Well, the answer of Scripture is about 6,000 years ago at the beginning and six literal 24-hour days. That's what we find in Genesis 1.1. Not some poem. Not some semi-poetic framework as many today may claim. But a historical narrative. A historical record of what exactly took place. Not with gaps of time between verses, but in six days. The first day, second day, third day. An exact record of what God did in the beginning. Now, He did not need. He did not need to take six days. He could have created everything in a moment. Some claim that because God is so powerful, it must have been that He created everything in a moment. But that's not true. Not because He needed six days, but because He wanted it to be in six days. He showed an order, an orderly week of work in which He created all things with one day of rest afterwards. And the simple but perhaps the most powerful proof of God's work of creation affirmed in a place other than Genesis 1 verse 1 is in what we read this morning too in Exodus 20 in the law. In Exodus 20 verse 11, it is reaffirmed, confirmed as the basis of of the fourth commandment, the Sabbath day, the six day creation. Why six days labor? That's in the fourth commandment. Why must you work for six days and then rest for one? The explanation, the basis, is this truth. Not a poem, but a historical record. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And just as the weekdays, the six weekdays and then the Sabbath day is a 24-hour day period, so also it must be, as Exodus 20 refers to, that those days in the beginning were the six days of the week. A 24-hour period day for each day of that week. He did not continue after He created. He did not continue to 
do the work of creation after those six days. The tense, the verb tense in Hebrews 11 verse 3 indicates that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. Literally there, it's the perfect tense. Have been framed. Meaning a work that began and ended in the past. They have been framed. Creation has been done. After that first week of creation, God continued to work, but not the creation work that is already done. He continued to develop that creation. He continued to govern that creation and uphold it. What we consider next Sunday more in depth regarding God's providence. But that work of creation is distinguished from all the other works of God. It happened 6,000 years ago in a six in six literal 24-hour days. Finished it. That's in the historical record for us. God's inspired historical record. This is the God that we believe. This one who is eternal. Made all things out of nothing. Created by the word of his mouth in six literal days. And the calling to you and to all is to believe in this God. Not just any God, but the God who created, as He said in His Word. Not the God of science, falsely so called, but the God of Scripture alone. That God is maker and not evolver is what we confess in the Apostles' Creed. I remind you every Sunday evening, and what the catechism is expounding. Notice a couple of Lord's Days before, in Lord's Day 7, question and answer 22, what, what the, the catechism calls that Apostles' Creed, including the confession that He is Almighty Maker or Creator rather than Involver. This is the Catholic undoubted Christian faith, question and answer 22 says. You know what that tells us, beloved? The word Catholic undoubted Christian faith tells us that the confession and the sincere faith that God is the Creator as we have just explained Him to be, this is what all true Christians have believed and do believe. Catholic means the universal church. Those who are in the universal church of Jesus Christ, that is all believers everywhere, ought to and do believe this God as the Maker. And more, remember, Catholicity does not only mean everywhere, in one time, but all believers over all time, over all ages, the Catholic undoubted Christian faith is that God is this Maker, this Creator. We're obligated to confess the same faith as the rest of the church. The word confess means exactly that. Confess is to literally say the same thing, remember. It's to say the same thing as God says in His Word, and confess means to say the same thing then as the rest of the believers. That God has saved. And this is a point not merely made in the Catechism and the Apostles' Creed, but it's the point made by the inspired writer in Hebrews 11. 
Notice that with me. After describing faith in verse 1 as the substance or confidence of things hoped for and the evidence or assurance of things not seen, the writer of Hebrews speaks in verse 2 this way of elders, elders. By it, meaning by this faith, the elders obtained a good report. The elders there, children, does not refer to the special office bearers of the church narrowly, though it includes them. But the word elders does refer to those believers who are elderly, the believers of old. The believers who are elderly not only in this congregation, but the believers of old who have gone before in the past. And so when you read the word elders, you should think really of all the believers that are listed in Hebrews 11, which many of you have memorized. All those older believers, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, and so on. All these elders, these believers of old, had faith. Verse 2 is saying, and by faith, they had a good report. And now Hebrews 11 goes on to explain the report of them. What they did by faith. But before... Hebrews goes on to explain what they did by faith. Verse 3 is telling us what they believed. What all these believers of old believed. That the worlds were framed by the Word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made by the things which do appear. This is what all believers of old have believed about God. That's astounding. And astounding if I put it in the negative. That modern and postmodern men of today who claim to be Christian, who claim to have the same faith, would dare to say that all those believers of old, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, the Judges, David, the Prophets, Paul, Peter, James, all the believers of old were wrong about God the Creator. And I'm right. That's astounding. Astoundingly foolish. It is man wise in his own conceits and unbelief. And so I call you, beloved, believe. Believe in what God says. Believe in what He worked in all believers of old to believe. That He is His almighty God, the Creator of the heavens and the earth in six days, as He said. Believe in this God. To refuse, as I said, has ramifications. Negative ramifications. It is to deny what all believers of old have believed. It also has this ramification. It would compromise the inspiration of Scripture. To deny that God created as He said He did. In Genesis 1 and many other places here in Hebrews 11 too. 
is not only to deny one passage in Scripture, it's to deny Exodus 20 and the fourth commandment. It is to deny Hebrews 11, verse 3. It is to deny all the other passages in the Bible that refer to creation. It's really to bring into question the historicity of all of the Word of God. If God did not create in six days, as He said in the beginning, then did the fall take place? As God says in Genesis chapter 3, is God, God's Word reliable when it says that the flood happened? Or the Red Sea parted? Or that Jesus died on the cross and rose again? This is about the reliability of the Word of God. Faith in what God says. The ramification of denying creation is a compromise of the inspiration of Scripture. And finally, it is important to hold to the doctrine of God, the Creator, because not to do so would be to diminish God's power. To diminish God's power. I believe we say in the Apostles' Creed, in God, which God? The Father Almighty. Omnipotent, with all power. And what is the first demonstration of that almighty power of God? What is Scripture's first demonstration? Which it comes back to again and again of God's power. He is Maker, Creator of the heavens and the earth. Take away that demonstration of His power, take away that revelation of His power. Deny creation. And you have diminished the first evidence, the first demonstration of God's power, His might. We confess every Sunday at the beginning of our worship service, our help. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. He's our helper, we say. He's our helper. He's our Savior. He's our helper to support us. He's our helper to do all things for us. He's our helper. How do we know that He is able to help us? We confess. Because He is the Maker of heaven and earth. Remove that fundamental truth. And He is not an able Maker of heaven. He is not an able Helper of us His people anymore. And thus I call you, beloved, again, believe in Him revealed in the inspired Scriptures. Believe in Him who is almighty as demonstrated by His creation. And now I said at the beginning of the first point, remember that God the Father is Father not only of the creation but Father in a deeper and spiritual sense. He is eternal Father of, the Catechism says, our Lord Jesus Christ. 
those first words we might skip over because of the important words that come after to speak of the creation. But those first words are exceedingly important. Eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we must dive deep into those words. There's deep truth here. And the first deep truth we have already covered in, in the last Lord's Day, in Lord's Day 8, and that is that God is the first person of the Trinity, Father, in relationship to the second person of the Trinity, Son. In that sense, He is eternal Father. Father eternally begot the Son. Father, the first person, has been, we said last week, in fellowship and friendship eternally with God the Son and with God the Holy Spirit. He, he had no need of us. He's the God of aseity, meaning He is self-sufficient. Father in relationship to the Son. Eternally. But now there is a second deep truth here about God the Father. Not only is He Father in relationship to the second person of the Trinity, but the Catechism actually is emphasizing this. He is Father of the man Jesus Christ. Notice it doesn't say He's eternal Father of the Son. That's the topic of Lord's Day 8. But rather, He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving us the human name of Jesus Christ, who came in time. Eternally, the Catechism is saying, God has had in His counsel, in His mind, the man Jesus Christ, also as His Son. Not only the second person, from eternity as His Son, but in His plan, in His mind, He has chosen Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, as His Son. And now we move to the third deep truth, which brings us to what is so comforting. First was that God is Father of the second person. The second was that God is Father of the man Jesus Christ in His counsel. Third, He is the eternal Father of us. The elect in Christ. That's why we don't read merely that, the eternal, that He is the eternal Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, but our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ that belongs to us, and He, He to us, and we to Him. What the Catechism is explaining is that in God's eternal counsel, in God's eternal plan, in His eternal mind, He has Jesus Christ as first, whom He has chosen. The man Jesus Christ too. And all of His elect people that He is known by name and written in the book of life belonging to Jesus. 
And He has always seen each of His elect people by name in this Jesus Christ. Always, from all eternity. In other words, we confess in, the, in, in Lord's Day 1, I belong to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ. What a wonderful truth. That is our only comfort in life and in death. But get this. We have from eternity belonged to Jesus Christ in God's counsel. From eternity, God has always seen us as belonging to Jesus Christ, our faithful Savior. And therefore, He has always looked upon us as His dear children. Our Father looks upon us from eternity as His dear children. And we can say today along with the catechism that even before I existed, even before anything existed, even before the beginning in creation, God has been my God and my Father for the sake of Christ His Son. Ephesians 1 verse 4 and 5 says just that. According as He hath chosen us, this is an eternity, in Him, that is in Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto what? Because we're in Christ, unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. We've always been children in God's mind. And I'll connect that truth of God's eternal fatherhood toward us, His children, and His counsel. Now connect that to what we discussed in the first point. Creation. And this is astounding. In the beginning, 6,000 years ago, in the beginning, when God created all things by the word of His mouth, who did He create all this for? Every single thing. For Jesus Christ, all things were made by Him and for Him, Colossians 1.16. And more. All things were created for us in Him. Eternal Father created all things for His dear children in Jesus Christ. Let there be light, to put it concretely, God said. Let there be light for Christ, my Son. And for all my people in Him. Let there be the firmament, the sky. For whom? For Christ, my Son. All my dear children, sons and daughters whom I have chosen in Him. 
Every creature, every bit of dust on the dry land, every molecule of water in the seas, every angel, every blade of grass was spoken into being for us in Christ. Never did God do anything in time Never did God do anything in time which was not for us as our Father toward His dear children. Faith. Faith is to believe this. God. To rely on Him so entirely that I have no doubt But He will provide me with all things necessary for soul and body and will make whatever evils He sends upon me in this valley of tears turn out to my advantage. Faith is this personal reliance upon the God who is our eternal Father in Jesus Christ and the Creator for our sakes. the one who believes by His grace, the one who believes in this God has all the comfort in the world. There's no comfort, of course, without faith. No comfort. The Catechism speaks of evils. It brings up the word evil. There, There are many evils in this world. And as the as the last day comes, and approaches very quickly, we see more and more evil manifest itself. Satan and his demons rage against the church, move men on high to conspire against the church. There's much sin. Sin fills the globe. Sin gets worse and worse and all sorts of immoralities and sexual perversions. And not only in the world, but it's creeping into the church. Evils harm us. Evils hurt us. And evils we engage in ourselves. When we sin. Is there any comfort in the midst of evil? In this valley of tears, as the Catechism puts it, many sorrows. As we are hurt and we hurt others, without faith, all will be confusion, chaos. Without faith in this, in this God, the Father, eternal Father and, and Creator, it will be as the evolutionists would have it. All governed by chance. The survival of the fittest, which is nothing but salvation by your strength. Karma. Wickedness in high places allowed to do whatever they want to do with free reign. There's no comfort in that. But faith, 
which God gives as His gift to us as people. Faith brings an understanding that God is the Creator Almighty, Eternal Father. What peace there is. There is order. Manifested in the beginning already. In six days, in an orderly manner, God created. Must be that there is order in all that seems like chaos. There is a plan. There is an eternal counsel. There is rest after work. There is an almighty God in control, especially one who is able. That's the emphasis of the catechism. Creation proves that He's able. Able to provide me with all things necessary for soul and body. With such a Creator, I may know, as the Catechism says, He is able to turn whatever evils for my advantage, all for my good and His glory. He is able to save me. The chief of sinners. He is able to take the hardest of hearts in impenitence and turn that heart He's able to preserve my sinful straying heart. He's able to give me strength during work that consumes me. He's able to help me fight my besetting addictions and sins. He's able to raise my dying body from the grave. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I ask or think. He's able. And creation proves it. The God of creation is able. He's almighty. And the peace comes when it, that truth of this almighty or able creator is combined with the willingness, the love of our eternal Father. He has loved us, never not loved us. Eternally He has seen us as righteous without sin. Yes, there is eternal justification. It would be carried out in time, legally earned by Jesus Christ on the cross and worked in us in our consciousness, but eternally too, He has seen us as righteous in Christ and has always been willing to do all things for us, even when I stray, even when I remain impenitent for a while. Even when I doubt His love. Because I see my sin. And it's very gross. And I think myself incapable of being saved. Yet He still is willing. Because His eternal willingness is not dependent on my willingness. The Almighty Maker is the eternal Father of each of His people. And it is with that enjoyment of comfort that we can truly glorify God. It's when we rest by faith in this Almighty 
and faithful Father, that there is stirred within us true desire to glorify Him. How great a God we have. Stand in awe of what power, what might this Creator God has. Stand in awe of what love What tender, eternal, faithful love the Father has. And then fulfill the very purpose for which He has created all things and given you all things. Glorify Him for His power and grace. Praise Him for His omnipotence and love. Serve Him for His creating work and His eternal saving work. Let us worship Him now and always. And one day we will perfectly for the same kind of worship, only renewed and perfected. For the same God, Revelation 4.11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, To receive honor and glory and power. Why? For thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure they are and were created. Let all glory be unto God. This God, our faithful Father. Amen. Let's pray. Eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And eternal Father, therefore, of us, thy people, for Jesus' sake, we praise thee for creating all things. For Christ, for us and him, and ultimately for thy glory. We praise thee that thou, as the Almighty Maker, has proven with thy work, and nothing can so much as move except thou does with that same power, does move it. With a willingness and a faithfulness to do all things for our good. Increase our faith that we might trust in Thee and thereby increase the comfort that we experience within our souls and also then increase our desire to glorify Thy name in worship, and in holy service. These things we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hope PR Ministry Podcast. We are a part of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, and we are located in West Michigan. Our goal is to spread our distinctive Reformed beliefs. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us at Hope rwc at gmail.com and visit our website at hopeprchurch.org if you would like to learn more about our beliefs. You can also worship with us every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m.